Welcome, ladies, to our online Bible study. This week we had a great week as we started Chapter 1 in the Pursuit of God, which was following hard after God. I just want to recap a little bit and show that how last week we saw how the Pursuit of God was written. It started with a, a simple man whom God gave a burden in his heart. The burden God had given Tozer was to motivate people who claimed to be followers of Christ, but who had little knowledge of God and little desire to know him better. I want to speak from my heart today. The burden that God placed on Tozer's heart in 1948 is a burden that I share 61 years later. It is a part of our Christian walk that is missed by so many Christians today. And that is why I felt the Lord leading me to do this study. We say, you can have a personal relationship with God, but not everybody knows what is meant by that or even how to do it. So that is what this study is going to be showing us. Ladies, we are living in a day and age where we are losing our Christian rights. They are taking God out of everything. In fact, there is an article from Christianity Today on our website under World News that states, If you are for pro-life, then our homeland security calls you a right-wing extremist. Satan is attacking with full force and it is not going to get any easier. And this is why we need to be grounded in our spiritual walk and develop a deep, intimate relationship with God. We are living in the end times. It says in Luke 18, verse 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? On the earth. Ladies, my heart's desire is that he will find us all faithful to the end. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So how do we combat Satan? Let's look up just one verse in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It states that we need to put on the armor of God each day. He is our source of strength, and it is only through him that we will be able to do this. So the idea of pursuing God should not be considered mystical. It should be a way of life for a Christian. Some have called Tozer a mystic because of his desire to love God. I want to read to you right now. A response that Tozer gave when he was called a mystic. It reads, Some of my friends good-humoredly, and some 
a little bit severely, have called me a mystic. Well, I'd like to say this about any mysticism I may suppose to have had. If an archangel from heaven were to come and were to start giving me, telling me, teaching me, and giving me instruction, I'd ask him for the text. I'd say, where is it say that in the Bible? I want to know. And I would insist that it was according to scriptures, because I do not believe in any extra spiritual teachings, nor any anti-scriptural teachings, or any sub-scriptural teachings. I think we ought to put the emphasis where God puts it, and continue to put it there, and to expound the scriptures, and stay by the scriptures. I wouldn't, no matter if I saw a light above the light of the sun, I'd keep my mouth shut about it till I checked with Daniel and Revelation and the rest of the scriptures to see if it had any basis in truth. And if it didn't, I'd think I'd just eaten something I shouldn't have. And I wouldn't say anything about it because I don't believe in anything that is unscriptural or that is anti-scripture. Notice how Tozer passed everything he learned through the scripture to validate it. If it was not in the Bible, he did not give it a second glance. This is what we should do. Notice that Tozer did not put his faith in men. He did not take what they said to be the final word. He put his faith in scripture. If anything contradicted scripture, you know it is not of God. So how do we discern what is right and what is wrong? As we have talked about this before in our studies, we need to learn what is true so that we can detect the fake. For example, when I worked at the bank, we had to examine and learn what the real dollar looked like so we would be able to know the counterfeit. So as we study, we will filter everything through scripture. And this should be applied to everything that we do. Have you ever heard the acronym WWJD? What would Jesus do? Well, we should always be asking, what does Jesus say about this? and search the scripture to make sure that we are following his will. Chapter 1 begins our pursuit of following hard after God. Let's look at Psalms 63, verse 8. It says, My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. David was not passive in his devotion, for he continued to cling 
to the Lord and rest in the safety of God's right hand. Those that follow hard after God would soon fail if God's right hand did not uphold them. It is He that strengthens us and comforts us. So, when we talk about following hard or pursuing a deeper relationship with God, we are talking about being so close to God that we feel His presence in our life. He is not a God who is out in the distance watching from afar. Ladies, He lives within your heart. He knows your name. He knows how many hairs are on your head. Does that sound like a distant God? God has feelings. He is grieved when we don't follow him. He rejoices when we rejoice. He is our comforter when we don't have the strength to go on anymore. God knows us, and he even knows how often we speak his name. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Is your name written in that book of remembrance? How many times do you speak of God? So my question would be, how well do we know him? He knows us. How much time in our day do we spend with God? If you spent the same amount of time with your husband or a loved one, as you do with God, how would they rate that time spent? Would they even know you were there? Would they feel the relationship was all about you? Did you even acknowledge them? Would they feel as if they were the most important person in their life and they had your undivided attention? If you spent the same amount of time cultivating a relationship with your husband or loved one as you do with God, how much would you know about them? If someone asked you about the attributes of your husband or loved one, I'm sure you could probably rattle some right off the top of your head. Do you know the attributes of God? Here are some, just to mention a few. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. We find that in Luke 1:37. He is omnipresent. It means he is all-present. He is everywhere. Psalms 139. He is omniscient, all-knowing. Psalms 147.5 He is immutable, unchanging, as we see in Malachi 3.6. And he is goodness. God is good. 
We see this in Psalms 34, 8. This is just a minute amount of his attributes. And some of us may know them by name, but do we really take them to heart and know that God is all-powerful? He is all-knowing. He is unchangeable. A relationship takes work. We cannot expect to know someone with one visit. It is an ongoing process. So why should we expect to know God with one visit? We must continually grow spiritually. Just as our body needs food, so our spirit needs spiritual food. We need to be in the word daily, in prayer daily, communicating with God. How else are we going to be able to fight the good fight, as Paul says? Ladies, salvation is not a means to an end. That sadly, some have said, I have accepted Jesus Christ into my life, and that is enough. I am content on being a child of God. Is that enough for you? Or do you want to say, as David said in Psalms 42, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Whom and when shall I come and appear before God? Ladies, we need to have a thirst for God. Salvation is the only the beginning to a, a glorious pursuit of knowing and loving God. David wrote Psalm 63 when he was in the wilderness of Judah. There in the desert, he was hungry and thirsty. But his deepest desires were spiritual, not physical. With his whole being, body, and soul, he yearned for God's satisfying presence. It says in Matthew 5-6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Ladies, we need to have a thirst for God. We need to know Him more and fully give our lives to Him. When you are walking and living the Christian life, don't you notice how people will notice you and come up to you and say, there's something different about you. Are you religious? Well, Tozer talks about the essence of genuine religion. When we think about religion today, what do we think about? More like rules and traditions, right? But as Tozer states, genuine religion is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That he came to earth in the form of a man to die on the cross to pay for our sins. That we may be able to live with God throughout eternity. Let's look at John 
17, verse 3. It says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus Christ is the source of life. He is the way to life, and he is the truth of life. He is the very substance of life, its very being and energy. It has more to do with quality and with what life really is than with duration. To live forever in the present world is not necessarily a good thing. The world and man's body need changing. And that changed life is only found in the eternal life. The only being who can be said to be eternal is God. Therefore, life, or the supreme life, is found only in God. But more essential, the person has the supreme quality of life, life with Jesus Christ himself. John 10, verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. So this shows us that once we have accepted Jesus Christ into our heart as our personal Savior, no one can snatch us from the Father's hand. We cannot lose our salvation. So before you can pursue a relationship with God, you have to ask yourself, Have I asked Jesus Christ into my heart? Do I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Just because a family member is saved does not mean that we are. Just because you attend a Bible-believing church does not mean that you are saved. There are many unsaved people in the pews today. Just because you are a kind person, always willing to help others, does not mean you are saved. You have to personally ask Jesus Christ into your heart and accept his death, burial, and resurrection. Then once you have done this, the glorious pursuit begins. Knowing God is personal. The body of believers is important as we are told to assemble together. And as we learned in the book of Ephesians, that each part of the family has his or her role, whether it is a hand or a foot or an ear or whatever. We can edify and encourage each other. We can be there for each other and support each other in these troubled times. However, when we stand before the Lord, we individually will be held accountable. We do not go as a group. Our sins have been forgiven by Christ. He has paid the penalty for them on the cross. But we will be accountable 
with what we have done for the Lord. Tozer says, To have found God and still pursue him is the soul's paradox. A limitless God means there is no end to our pursuit of him. What a paradox that is. To know God and yet still to pursue him. There are two examples of individuals who knew God well. And that was Moses and Paul. Yet both had strong desires to know more of God. Neither was satisfied with his level of knowledge. I first want to show you Moses. And let's turn to Exodus 33 and look at verse 13. It says, Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Now let's skip down to verse 17 and 18. And it says, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. The true servant of God is concerned more about the glory of God than about anything else. Moses and the Jews had seen God's glory in the pillar of cloud and fire, as well in the storm on Mount Sinai. But Moses wanted to see the intimate glory of God revealed to him personally. Notice that it said, Show me your glory. Well, God did give Moses a guarded glimpse of his glory, and he was satisfied. Look back at verse 17. Notice how the Lord said to Moses, I know you by name. He was not a distant God. Moses had an intimate relationship with God. Paul is our next individual that I wanted to go through. And if we look at Philippians 3.10, it says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and a fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul wanted to know God experientially. And the Greek word here for know is gnosko, showing that he wanted a experiential knowledge, not just a head knowledge. That was the goal of his heart, and to this he sacrificed everything. Philippians 3.8 says, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss 
of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. We know well the stories of Paul and how he was persecuted and what he went through with a thorn in his side and the sacrifices that he paid for Jesus Christ. Job said in verse 42, I'm sorry, chapter 42, verse 5, he says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Until now, Job's knowledge of God had been indirect and impersonal, but that was changed. Job had met God personally. Ladies, we will face opposition in life. When we try to live a godly life, we will be persecuted. As it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you are not suffering persecution, there is something wrong. We need to get into scripture and find out why. Because if you are living a godly life, Satan will get you. That's when the scripture continues in verse 13 through 17. It says, But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ladies, the scripture will equip us in this time, and that's why it is so important to be grounded. We have to remember the armor of God and trust in the scripture and pass everything that you hear through them. As Pastor said in his message last week on Nehemiah 4, he said, Satan never bothers with half-hearted people who are content with a ho-hum spiritual existence. If you are not here Sunday, you need to hear this message. It is on the website under the tab Media Center and then go to Sermon Audios. Pastor discusses the devil's design and his demise. It is a wonderful message. As Tozer mentioned in the book, complacency is a deadly foe to all spiritual growth. For many of us, this complacency and lack of acute desire is the root cause of our lack of significant spiritual growth. We need to say as Paul did in Philippians 3, I press toward the goal 
for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Tozer brought out 60 years ago that we need to find God amid all the religious externals like programs, methods, organizations, and a world of nervous activities which occupy time and attention. The religious externals can never satisfy the longing of the heart. I can only imagine what he would say about the church today. The shallowness of our inner experience and the hollowness of our worship all testify that we in this day know God only imperfectly and the peace of God scarcely at all. Now having activities in the church are fine and they can be edifying but we need to be careful that we don't do them just to impress others but that we generally are serving and worshiping God. It is only God that should receive the honor and glory in everything that we do and say. Now there's many who search for God and Ladies, we need to leave the and off. That needs to be stripped away. God wants to be wanted, but he does not want to share us. We should come to him and praise him for who he is, not for what we will do or what he will do for us. Too often we approach God simply because we have needs. Or... Maybe even we begin a prayer by praising him and thanking him, but we always get in there our petitions. Yes, God wants us to petition him, and that is a form of prayer. But have you ever just sat down and simply praised him with no other agenda in mind? To illustrate this, let me go through a couple of things here. Has your husband brought you flowers just because he loves you, not for any special occasion? Have you ever looked across the room and saw your husband and it brought goosebumps as your heart was filled with joy because you love him so much? This is what Tozer is saying when he said, We need not fear that in seeking God only we may narrow our lives or restrict the motions of our expanding hearts. The opposite is true. We can well afford to make God our all. This is what God wants. He wants to us to worship him, and love him for himself, not for what he has done for us or for what we will do for him or what he can do for us. One thing I do want to comment on, and I don't want it to take away from 
the purpose of what God is stirring in you today. Tozer mentioned the old English 14th century classic book called The Cloud of the Unknowing. The quote that Tozer mentions from this book is the fact that we should lift our heart unto God with a meek stirring of love and mean himself in none of his goods. What Tozer got from this quote was that we just discussed that if we should love God for who he is and not for what he will do for us. The emerging church, which you've probably heard about, uses the old English classic in regards to what they call centering prayer which is a contemporary practice of Christian meditation developed by Trappist monks William Menninger, Basil Pennington, and Thomas Keating in the 1970s. Now, I'm not going to go into great details about centering prayer because this is not what Tozer is referring to. Brenda is going to be talking about the emergent church at our summer event so I don't want to go into details in that I don't know exactly what she is going to be doing with it. Remember what we said in the beginning of this class. We do not recommend reading every book that is mentioned. Tozer had a deep love for God, and his main purpose and burden was to show believers that they can have a personal relationship with God. He used a quote which expresses that and that is all. Scripture says in John 6, 24-27, When the people therefore saw that Jesus was there, nor his disciples, and they also got into the boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus, when they found him and the others on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, You seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. The disciples may have been impressed that so many people stayed through a storm in order to seek their master. But Jesus was not impressed. He knows the human heart. He knew that the people originally followed him because of his miracles, as we saw in John 6, 2. But now their motive was to get fed. Christ knows our hearts and he knows our motives. Jesus pointed out that there are two kinds of food. Food for the body, which is necessary, but not the most important part and food for the inner man, 
the Spirit, which is essential. What the people needed was not food, but life. And life is a gift. Food only sustains life, but Jesus gives eternal life. Ladies, so many Christians seek God for what he can do for them. As we see here in the scriptures, God knows our heart. He knows whether we are seeking him to worship him or just to meet our needs. What I want you to do this week is to try something. In some of your prayers, to just love God. Tell him you love him for himself. You can praise him for what he has done in your life. Praise him for the beauty of his, of his creation around you. Thank him for saving your soul. But refrain from asking something of him in every prayer. And just worship him. Think about a friendship. If you had somebody who always came up to you and said, I want, I want, I want, I want. How long would that relationship last? Would you be close to that friend if you knew that every time you went up to them they said, I want, I want, I want? Remember God is personable. And he wants a loving relationship with us. And he wants us to want him just for him. And so in closing, I ask that you, in this week, be conscious of God in your life. In your, as you get busy each day, be conscious of him. And just take a second and say, I love you. We don't need to have scheduled times in our life when we just, you know, you don't do that with your husband. You don't schedule a timeline and say, okay, it's 7 o'clock. Hi, honey, I love you. Right? So why do you schedule a time like that for God? Let it be spontaneous just like it is in your relationship with God. Just say, I love you. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope to see you again next week as we start chapter 2. God bless.